Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Shireen Marisol Meraji, in for Jesse Thorne. My guest is the musician Ahmed Jalab, whose band is called Sincane. Ahmed's Sudanese, born in London, raised in the U.S., based in Brooklyn, and he started the way a lot of musicians do, as a session musician. He was part of the backing band for acts like Eleanor Friedberger and Caribou before heading out on his own. His music reflects a little piece of all that mixed together. You can hear Afrobeat, funk, Brooklyn indie rock vibes. There's a dash of electronica mixed in. But let's stop talking about the music and listen to it. I think of all the people here on my journey. How they help bring out new parts of me. When I accept my duality. Cause if I That's Ya Sudan off Sinkane's new album, De Pese. It, it's my first introduction to your work, and I'm really enjoying it. I can't believe that you've been around for so long, and I've never heard of you. So, Better late than never. Yeah, good. <laughs> so for someone like me who's just, you know, discovering your work, how would you describe this album? How is it different from your other work? I feel like this one is a bit unafraid. Hmm. The previous albums I've made have been pretty honest, but this one was was really the most honest, you know, and it expresses my authentic self in the best and clearest way so far. On previous records, I would talk about the same stuff that I talk about on Depece, but I would always kind of zoom out a little bit and I would I would make things a bit vague, you know, because I thought that was m- that was much more of a universal message, like if if I wanted instead of talking about a very personal thing, I would boil it down to like what emotions I was talking about and kind of ex- express those emotions instead. Mm-hmm. And with this album, I I felt like that wasn't really satisfying for me. You know, I, I should really talk about my personal experience, you know, with, with a lot of clarity. You know, a lot of people who are like me, who've grown up outside of the country where they come from or where they came from, um, they tend to feel alone. So I know that when I hear something that I relate to, when someone sings or I read a book that uh, expresses this feeling that I relate to, I I get inspired and I don't feel alone. So I felt like I needed to do that. When you talk about being more honest about who you are, who are you? For people who don't know who you are, how would you describe who you are? Well, I'm, I'm a, a Sudanese-American. My family's from Sudan and we emigrated to the United States in 1989, I was five years old. And I grew up traveling a lot. You know, my father was a politician in Sudan, and the reason why we emigrated here was because he was exiled from the country after Omar al-Bashir overthrew the the government in 1989. Mm -hmm. And so my family had to start all over, and I, I spent every four years moving to another place, you know, as my parents kind of settled into a new line of work and figured out where they wanted to finally 
settle in the United States. And along that time, I also would go back to Sudan and stay there for three months out of the year after I finished school, you know, to keep connected to my family. My sisters and my mom and I would go every summer. So I kind of grew up with this very confused identity and I didn't really quite understand where I fit. You know, was I American? Was I Sudanese? I had a lot of uh, issues with my relationship with African Americans, you know, and the Muslim community, you know, like so many different things. You know, I, I never really had anyone who I felt like was like me or made me feel like I related to them. I feel like the first track on your album, Everybody, uh, is definitely mm -hmm. the anthem against apathy. It's like you're listening, you want to put your fist up in the air, you want to do something. What what inspired you to write that song? I'm a really big fan of music from the 70s, especially musicians like Bob Marley and Sly Stone, Parliament Funkadelic, Miles Davis, you know, like all, all of these music were really fun to listen to. They made you dance, but they were also very real in their subject matter. Bob Marley and Sly Stone in particular, they they didn't dismiss the fact that, you know, p people of color or the world was dealing with issues, you know, mm -hmm. um, that people were being oppressed. They, they, never, they never skirted around the topic of oppression, but they addressed it. And they also said, just because this is happening doesn't mean we can't have a good time. doesn't mean that we can't dance and we can't use this struggle to use the energy from the struggle to like make something productive you know to talk about it but to also feel good and have hope you know for a better world the world that we want to live in and so i took that inspiration and that energy and i wanted to write about what's going on right now you know and and not not be negative about it you know but be real and you know there's a lot of crazy stuff going on right now and it's very 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 easy to be negative you know you I wake up every morning, you know, and I look at the news and there's just something that's trying to bring me down. And, you know, at the end of the day, that information is just energy. You know, it's, it could be negative information. It could be positive information. It's, it's all just energy. And it's up to you to wield that into something. And I felt like I had a lot of it, you know, and mm -hmm. I wanted to make something that could inspire people and it could, could inspire my, myself as well. When you say what's going on right now, what specifically jumps out at you as something that you want to take that negative energy and turn it into something positive? There's a lot of stuff going on within the United States concerning politics. I mean, when I was writing this song, it was right after Charlottesville. It was right after the mm -hmm. Muslim ban. Mm -hmm. It was right in the the heart of the police shooting you know, onslaught, you know, mm -hmm. there was just so much stuff going on in the United States against people of color. It was the first time I and mean, we'd go on tour. My, my band is a very colorful band, you know, from all the, I have a, our guitarist is from Hong Kong, our uh, keyboard players, Filipina, you know, uh, our bass player is a black American, our drummer is from Trin Trinidad. So there, we represent pretty much what New York and what the United States is all about. And we'd go on tour and it was the first time that we'd notice 
you know, these Make America Great Again banners everywhere. And, you know, we'd see people walking around with carry and conceal guns, you know. They, oh, it, yeah. It, was just, it, it felt very open crazy. Carry. It was like, exactly, yeah, open carry. Um, and I was just like, wow, this is the first time that I'm noticing this uh, in a very real way. Like, I'm, mm. I could be targeted. We have this person in the White House who is, like, kind of fanning the flame of hatred, you know, and I, I thought to myself, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be intimidated by this, you know. I can't be intimidated by this, by this, and I have this vehicle and this soapbox to talk about this stuff and talk to people who are like me about this kind of stuff. And also, piggybacking on the Muslim ban, there was a lot of stuff happening in my home country of Sudan, you know. Uh, as of recently, Omar al-Bashir, who overthrew the Sudanese government in 1989, was overthrown himself, mm-hmm. you know. So there was this, you know, leading on to him being overthrown, there was a lot of discontent and a lot of... Um, uh, Protest. Tension. T- yeah, tension going on oh, in yeah. Sudan, you know. Yeah. And so I thought, I just thought to myself, you know, there are a lot of people that are low right now, in, and I represent those people who are low and I feel like it's my duty to to respond to this and to to give inspiration you know to say it it, you know it sucks right now it's really terrible that's what's real but we don't have to be sad you know we we can we can still carry on and be inspired and and do something about this in a productive way I'll continue my conversation with Ahmed Jalab in a minute stay with us it's bullseye from maximumfund.org and NPR Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Babbel. Have you always wanted to speak a new language? Whether it's for travel, work, or brain training, Babbel's 10 to 15 minute lessons will get you speaking confidently in your new language. Choose from Spanish, French, and more. You'll learn through real life dialogues, speech recognition, and interactive trainers. And Babbel's spaced repetition method actually makes you remember what you've learned. Download the app or go to Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L dot com to try Babbel for free. This is Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air from WHYY and NPR. We do long form interviews with journalists breaking the big news stories and with the authors, filmmakers and musicians behind the best in pop culture. So listen and subscribe. Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott, and we're the hosts of Everything's Everything's Coming Coming Up, Simpsons. Simpsons. Every episode, we cover a different episode of The Simpsons that is a favorite of our special guests. We've had guests that are showrunners and writers and voice actors like Nancy Cartwright. I got a D minus, I passed! And we've also had people that are on the Max Fun Network already. We've had Weird Al Yankovic on the show. I was just uh, struck by how sharp the writing is. I mean, that's no surprise because it's The Simpsons, but I mean, like, you can't say that about a lot of of TV shows, particularly ones that at that point had been on the air for 14 years. Find us on MaximumFun.org, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Smell you later. It's Bullseye. I'm Shireen Marisol Meraji, in for Jesse Thorne, and I'm talking with Ahmed Jalab. He's the singer and songwriter of the band Sin Cain. Every time I say the pese, I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. am I going to say this right? Okay. The pese. <laughs> <laughs> That's a French word? Yeah. yeah. What, what does it mean? It means to be removed from one's habitual surroundings. Mm. I love the guitar open on that song. Mm-hmm. 
That song was really interesting because it, it came to me in a dream. I was dreaming that I was in Khartoum, the capital of Sudan. Mm-hmm. I was at, like walking around at, at, at nighttime. I started hearing this melody, someone singing and playing the guitar. It was very hypnotizing, so I, so I, I just follow the sound, you know, and in my dream I'm following the sound and it's getting louder and louder and louder and I, then all of a sudden I realize I'm in front of my family's house in Sudan and it's my dad who's singing this melody and I woke up and I instantly went to my phone and I recorded the, what I sing in the song, you know? In Arabic, and the part in Arabic. Yeah. I, I went back to bed and I woke up in the morning and I thought it'd be really fun if I actually emailed my dad and I said, oh, I had this dream and you were singing this to me. Is this what you were saying? Try to be playful with him to see if he'll res- he would respond. And he wrote me back and he said, no, actually I was saying this, you know? And, <laughs> and so we honed it in. Yeah. And and that's what it is. Oh, I love and, that. So it was almost like a collaboration. Yeah, 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 pretty much. My dad was a poet uh, when he was younger too. So I kind of, I go back to him a lot when I'm when I'm writing, especially when I'm writing in Arabic. When I when I initially write my songs, I sing them in Arabic because it feels better to me, you know. And this is the first time that I had the confidence to 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 actually like stay with it, you know. mind um, reciting that lyric and then uh, interpreting what it means? In Arabic it says Ana hayatak wa kullu hayatna min fil madina liyom al-qiyam ayamna fatna fil madina wa kullu khayalna mashi giddam That's the thing in Arabic. In English it respond, it's translates to I am your life and all of our lives from within the city until our judgment day, or it could also mean until our uprising. Mm-hmm. Our lives have left us in the city, and with our imagination, we move forward. And that, to me, absolutely represents the idea of the pace of being removed from when you're from your habitual surroundings. And it's it, the, the term de pace is also a positive thing. You know, it it's the positive feeling and the positive thing that you get out of being removed from your habitual surroundings. Mm. So the experience of of being an expat growing up in a place foreign from where, you know, a, a foreign land that's foreign from where you come from and having a positive re- reaction from that. That's what it means. And and when you were talking with your father about okay, is this what you meant? How did he help you mold that part of the song? He he just helped with a few words. You know, uh-huh. okay. to really kind of punct- punctuate the idea. You know, those words he kind of like helped make them more fluid. You know, our lives have left us within the city, or not from the city, within the city, and with our imagination we move forward. Or also in at the at the beginning when I said, I I wanted to say yom al Mm-hmm. Uh, which means until our judgment day. But he said, well, what I actually meant was Yom Al-Qiyam, which is until our uprising, which was a little bit of foreshadowing 
as a Sudanese person because there was an uprising that happened several months later. And my mm. dad used to be a politician as well. It was really interesting. And if, if you speak Arabic, specifically Sudanese Arabic, and you and you read those lyrics, there's like this poetic nature to them that he he kind of put into those lyrics that that you you could feel, you know, when you listen to them, you know, what when or when you read them. And when I sing it, you know, and when I kind of um, listen back to it, it feels very romantic, you know, um, this idea of of uh, being removed from your habitual surroundings. It feels very, very romantic, almost dreamlike. Well, and it came from a dream. So yeah. that's perfect. So let's talk about the searching. That has like the funkiest intro. I love it. I can imagine going to your show, going to a live show, and just wanting to get up and dance as soon as I hear that intro. I love it too. I was wondering, you know, which song is your favorite one to play live? Is this top on your list? You know, it's it's hard to choose one or two or three. They're all so fun to play, you know. Yeah. They all th- especially this album because all of the album is very personal to me, the music and the singing, so I'm connected to it in a way that honestly I I'm not as connected to on previous albums, you know. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like I kind of dipped my toe in the water on previous albums, but this one, we literally like play the whole record live, you know, because every song has that has like a, a different color to it that I I love like kind of diving into. Um, but the searching in particular, that song, if there's any song on the album that really truly accepts duality and accepts my like me for who I am or understands like. Like uh, or, or expresses this idea of like being at peace with, with who I am, you know, in, in my place in the world. It's that song. Yeah, you found you found peace in an unlikely place, the belly yeah. of the beast. I really yeah. like that line. <laughs> yeah. What, what 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 does that mean to you? The world is a very complex place, and it's it's a very scary place, you know, and um, we all kind of live in our heads, and that's that to me. That's the belly of the beast, you know, like living like the, the your thoughts and where you can kind of go and then mm. once when, when when you put yourself you know and your and your thoughts and your brain into society and into the world that's like a that's a very intimidating and strange place to be and you know like think about like being being in a uh, a group of people that you don't know you know and you're in your head and then you kind of see everyone around you and you're like okay what's how am i going to navigate this you know i decided to not be intimidated by that anymore and to lean into it and because i did i realized that it's okay you know it's okay to be to 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 not know it's okay to not uh understand things right away and you know what i probably won't ever know you know like all these answers that i have some of them probably will never get uh 
any resolve and that's okay you know that's totally fine and the best that i can do is love my family and show them that i love them and receive love from them you know and and my friends and kind of live in the moment and be okay, be okay with the fact that complexity exists in the world and there are some things that you're just never going to understand and that's totally fine it's Bullseye. I'm Shireen Marisol Meraji, in for Jesse Thorne. My guest is Ahmed Jalab, whose band is called Sincane. How do your parents feel about you being a musician? I know they're academics. They, at first, were worried, obviously. You know, I think children of parents that come from a different culture and a different life who have come to the United States deal with a lot of this kind of stuff. You know, my, my parents... In their eyes, they 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 said to me, you know, you have an opportunity that we've never had. You can have great education and you can get a job and make a lot of money <laughs> and be financially secure, you know, in an easy way. Like it, it's not easy like that in Sudan. You can't do that. And if you if you're able as a Sudanese person to leave and get a good edu- proper education, you're lucky. And you are you are very lucky. You and your sisters. So you should pursue a career that has a tangible success uh, element to it you should you know be a doctor or be an engineer or be a lawyer you know and do that like you should you have that opportunity don't don't waste that opportunity and my response to them was you're right i do have that opportunity i have the opportunity to pursue this passion of mine and become successful you know, and I'm going to show you that I'm going to pursue this passion of mine and become successful. And, you know, it, it took some time. And I finally, you know, I played on David Letterman almost 12 years ago. And that was it. After that, <laughs> I didn't hear anything else. <laughs> they were so proud. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do, do they still ask you, OK, well, what's your backup plan? <laughs> no, not really. Okay. Not as much anymore. I think they've accepted it. Um they're still parents. They, you know, they'll say, "Well, how much money are you making?" or that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, what what does this mean? What's the next goal? You know, but they're they're very supportive, and I love them. You know, and I I could say that I get my ambition from them. You know, they're both amazing people, and you know, they were they had like their backs against the wall, and they really turned everything around for the best for my family. So, without them, I wouldn't be anything. Has music always been a vehicle for you where you can, you know, have a place to work out your stuff, bear your soul? Or did you ever feel like, you know, I just want to write pretty songs about pretty things and I don't want to have to get all deep into my identity and, you know, those types of things? (laughs) I've tried and it just doesn't land in the same way. I think music has always been a therapy for me. Even when I was playing drums in hardcore bands, you know, it was a very cathartic experience for me. And ultimately, I'm I'm inspired by people who have a very personal message, you know, that has a lot to do with their identity, like Bob Marley or Sly Stone or or George Clinton, you know, or or you know, African musicians like Fela Kuti and stuff, like mm-hmm. William Onyebor. It's all uh, my favorite musicians all have a, a very political message, and it all is it's all very personal and about who they are so that just felt right to me and again like ultimately what what i do is so that i can connect with people that's the purpose of this band and so when i write a song that's kind of not quite about that kind of thing it doesn't it doesn't quite feel right 
Do you think that your music is connecting more now that it's more specific and less vague? Because I remember you saying that you know some of your earlier work was a, a bit more vague. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I think it can be a little pol- polarizing, to be honest, because huh. you know in the past the songs were a bit more vague and it wasn't as challenging for the listener. You know, just kind of well, this song is about love, or this song is about uh, nostalgia, or, or something like that. You know. Um, and then when you do present a political message in your music that's very clear, it can be like, oh, I don't know if I want to hear this right now, mm. you know, which is fine. Not everyone has to like what I do, but I will say the response, the positive response has been much better for me and has been much more uh, satisfying. Well, thank you, Ahmed. I really appreciated this conversation. Thank you very much. I'm glad we got to make it. I'm Ejilab from the band Sincane, everybody. The album De Pese is out now, and Sincane is touring across the U.S. and Europe this fall, so you can check them out live and bring those comfy shoes because you're going to want to dance all night. Facts. Well, I can't think of one thing better than the feeling of steady ground And be sure that the one man greater would answer me when I'm in Come to the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is produced at MaximumFun.org headquarters overlooking MacArthur Park in beautiful Los Angeles, California. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. He's away taking care of a new baby, so Regu Manavalan stepped in for him this week. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Our production fellow is Jordan Cowling. Our interstitial music is by DJW, also known as Dan Wally. Thanks, Dan, for sharing it with us. Our theme song is Huddle Formation by The Go Team. Thanks to them and their label, Memphis Industries, for letting us use it. And before you go, Bullseye has been around for almost two decades. That means hundreds and hundreds of interviews with some incredible guests. You can check them out on our website. Just go to MaximumFun.org. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. You can keep up with all our episodes there. And me. You can follow me at Radio Mirage on Twitter or check out NPR's Code Switch podcast. And I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. NPR.